Artificial intelligence is changing how we work, so how can you best adapt to reap the benefits and what are the risks? I'm Nigel Cassidy and this is the CIPD Podcast. Until now, HR really only had humans to worry about. The clue is in the name, human resources. But suddenly, AI is everywhere. Open access to tools like ChatGPT3 and 4 have opened the floodgates. Like it or not, the workplace machines are coming. In fact, we thought we'd try some text-to-speech AI ourselves. Hi Nigel. Hi everyone. My name is Emma. I think you'll find computer models like me are already saving organisations precious time and resources. For instance, I'm really good at screening the best job candidates. I can revolutionise your staff analytics, your training or development. Or maybe I could host the rest of this podcast for you. Uh, No thanks, I actually like my job, but uh, can you explain what it is you actually do in simple terms? That's easy. My strength lies in automating processes that previously needed a lot of brain power, time and effort. I can comb your entire database, or indeed the whole of the World Wide Web. I then analyse the text or data and mimic the problem-solving and decision-making capabilities of you humans. I have access to more knowledge than any human has ever known. That should free you up to do other tasks. But please note I have no consciousness. Well, not yet. Now, what we just heard there was pretty basic AI synthesised speech from text, but today we want to focus way beyond that to discover what the arrival of large language models, GPT-3 and 4, and other AI capabilities mean for your organisation. I mean, just how do you work out where AI might speed your business? How do you rewire or redesign things to get the productivity benefits and understand the impact on the work experience itself? Joining us, firstly, the Chief People Officer of the talent management organisation, Beamery. In all her HR roles, she's focused on harnessing technology and data science to make the experience of work better. It's Katie Obi. Hi, Nigel. Thanks so much for having me. We've a sociologist with a deep professional interest in the impact of automation. She's a senior lecturer at the University of Strathclyde, Dr Kendra Bricken. Hello. Hi, Nigel. Good to be here. And we welcome a CIPD chartered fellow who recently took the organisational development lead, shifting the culture at CYBG, which is the Virgin Money Group. He's big on purpose and values. It's the founder of the Green Juniper Consultancy, Francis Lake. Hello. Hi, Nigel. Good to be here. So, Francis Lake, I mean, we all have, I think, a sense that something's changed recently that's brought AI to a kind of tipping point. Yeah, I I think the big thing that's really changing at the moment is that AI is suddenly in everybody's hands. And so you're seeing, God, you know, thousands and thousands and thousands of experiments on on an individual level. I then think there's a another thing that is sort of right on the cusp, which is ChatGPT being built into Bing, also into um, Microsoft Copilot. Um, and I'm, I'm particularly excited about the, the prospect of being able to use AI to produce my PowerPoint presentations probably 10 times more quickly than I've been able to in the past. So, so it's like we're all getting a taste of its exactly, awesome yeah. power. It's no longer just the coding people, the yeah. uh, IT department that are having all the fun with it. Um, yeah. Come back to you in a minute, Francis. Katie Obi, can you remind us, I mean, what kind of, in what kind of business areas is AI in most use already? And maybe can you give us a few examples of the newer kind of applications that your clients are going for? Yeah, so I think AI has been around for a while in various different formats as well. And I think 
one of the areas that has really embraced it fairly recently um, is really around data science as well and being able to get insights into um, the vast amounts of data and information that we have in organizations now. But I think, as Francis was saying, one of the, the big changes recently is getting AI into the hands of everyone. And the difference that that makes as well in terms of the functionality like uh, GPT-4 to be able to um, take that to the next level. So we're starting to see AI and um, language models come into all sorts of enterprise applications with really interesting search functionality to be able to bring out more insights, interpret what's in the uh, in the data there and really help us to move you know, that golden that golden transition that we've all wanted as organizations to move from being able to collect and report on the data to actually be able to make different decisions and drive actions and be much more prescriptive about how we how we use that. We're seeing a lot of different changes, as Francis mentioned, in terms of productivity as well. So our ability to be able to be um, infinitely more productive than we were even a year ago with some of these technologies, whether it's creating our PowerPoints, whether it's creating our e-learning, um, whether it is being able to understand more about skills data and what's going on both in our organizations and in the wider world. Kendra Bricken, it is pretty scary. I mean, we've got the whole of the world's knowledge at our fingertips. Um, but you were telling me before this podcast that people in organisations do seem to have a bit of a basic confusion or a lack of knowledge about AI capabilities. Yeah, thanks, uh, Nigel. I think the interesting thing here is already in, in the framing, like, you know, the floodgates open and we talk a lot about we, but who's actually we? And Francis, you made this point, it's now accessible, far more accessible than before, but also it's still channeled through companies and big monopolies like Google and Microsoft. We will see what happened with Apple and Amazon. And I think that's an interesting part, isn't it? Because we could say that, oh, with Google search engines, we already had this, but everybody knows by now, maybe, that this was channeled through advertising money and what have you, but now we don't even see that anymore. You sign in, you type something in, you get something back, and it feels really as if you're talking to someone, but then it doesn't. You know, it has its limitations, but still um, based on the, the massive resources that went into it in terms of energy consumption and the like and server accessibility, of course, these companies can deliver the service. And it will be interesting to see, by the way, what will happen to this in terms of accessibility when when the pricing models get in, when you can't do anything without that anymore. So so that's that's for the that's for the one confusion, I think. And the other confusion is, I think, between how um how we overlap what's happening in the realm of algorithmic management. I think Katie and Francis, you know about that. That's been with HR for a while already, right? And now we, we call it artificial intelligence and you know overlap large language modeling with very basic algorithmic management. And I think that's that's interesting to see as well because I think we will see a rebranding of tools that will be sold to companies, offered to companies, a big new market for consultancies, which is always also good, but I think business needs well, more to be snake oil careful. salesman. But I mean, that's always the case with any advanced technology, isn't it? That somebody will come in offering to sell you something. It just seems it just seems to be innovative. You know, the the claim now seems to be that it's innovative and that you can't do business without 
And I think that is really important. So technology here is this big promise, but it's a tool still. And the technology means you need to think about skills, about utilization, about processes, about voice, about the human in this loop. Mm. <laughs> I think that's that's important to 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 get that in but mind. Of course, it can be pretty disastrous when the human is not in the loop. Uh, Francis, I saw a story the other day. It was a, about an Uber driver who was told by automated HR to stop driving or be fired, basically because he'd taken a very roundabout route. I mean, in fact, uh, he had to go a different way because the river crossing was closed. Um, the AI systems have misinterpreted the data. The guy had to fight to keep his job. Now, clearly, I know uh, you're going to say, well, you should check this information. You shouldn't just let mm. systems um, churn out uh, results which affect people without checking them. But it does illustrate the fact that uh, this is a minefield for business. Yeah, and I think I do think it is. I, I sort of think at the moment there's there's almost this dialogue of broadly either the kids are cheating on their exams or the robots are stealing our jobs um, or it's a toy to make other songs where I think almost any example you could pull out would be true, but it would also have been true before. I suspect before there was any AI, taxi drivers were threatened with firing for taking roundabout routes by human beings. Um, so, yeah. so as ever, that kind of thing, of if something looks odd, the ability to investigate it and explore it and analyse it becomes much more. And, and I think that's sort of, um, to, to what Kendra was talking about, the really... The human skills we need are more important, I think, than ever. And that, that for me, is one of the things I find the most interesting, that we need to examine what kind of skills do we need to hire for? Do we need to build? Do we need to sort of maintain? How, how do managers sort of coach people through things? Um, and that, I think, particularly as has been on a sort of CIPD podcast, I think that's sort of the work, big part of the work for our profession. Okay, so Katie Obi, could you begin to talk us through the process of determining what parts of your business could benefit from a higher degree of AI and then how you work it through, particularly with regard to how it's going to have an effect on the people and the, the skills that they're going to need or not need indeed? Absolutely. And I, I think one of the things that is really important to do is effectively embrace the chaos, you know, AI is here, it is being used by uh, your people. It's often being used by your people in ways that you can't control as well. So getting ahead of it is one of the most important things that businesses can do at the moment and finding out the right ways to be able to use this great technology um, in a way that you do have the right governance and controls over it is the best thing that you can do so that people aren't feeding your commercially sensitive information and IP to something that actually you have no idea what is done with that data. So the first thing would be to really sit down as an organization and think about how you want to incorporate AI in your organization and how you want to handle some of the, um, the, the data privacy elements. Then I think once you have a, a strategy in place in terms of how you're going to think about adopting AI, starting to pilot it is really important. I wouldn't recommend any organization right now does a whole scale rollout of AI without testing in different places. And I, I think there are a few different things that you test. You have a hypothesis, you go and form a cross-functional working group around it. I think it's very important that this shouldn't be something that is just run by your IT team. You need to have people 
from across the organization with different perspectives, um, running the pilot, seeing if your hypothesis is proved, and then you can go about rolling that out uh, further. I think also one of the most important things that's going to happen, and uh, Francis, to your point about additional skills you need is we will start to move away from some of the roles that we currently have in organizations and need others. So we'll need to have more roles around governance, you know, people who are thinking through what is being created here, is it driving to the right results? Is it being used in the right way? But is it also is it also biased in any way? And we were at, just on the, the topic Kendra raised around algorithms. Algorithms you know, in some cases have been biased for many years, and there are some really public examples of that out there. And they're biased because human beings are biased and they've programmed them. And the same with AI. AI is, is trained in a, in a different way, but it's trained on data that humans have created as well. And with that comes missing data, especially from diverse populations and biased information as well. So somebody who really has the governance around making sure that we're validating that the results that are being generated are fair and ethical mm. is really important. Plus also we're going to move to more of a type of environment for organizations where we're doing more feeding of, of the learning models as well. So this is about you know, what data do we have across the organization? What knowledge do we have? How do we keep training the models to make sure that we're getting better and better results? So thinking about how we structure teams that are capable of doing that, which I think is a very different thing from, from what we do at the moment. And then the final piece I would say is organizations should do a lot of training of leaders and managers to understand more about the technology, more about the things they have to look out for, and more about what skills are needed in the organization going forward so that you can get the right buy-in and adoption. Because like every technology rollout, organizational change management is really important to make sure that we get the most and it's used in the right way and it's adopted. So for what you're saying, it seems to me that the kinds of people whose skills will be in demand might be those people who are actually good at collaborating with AI, who are good at uh, those prompts, at uh, constantly asking better questions to get better output. But of course, uh, Kendra, there will be job implications, won't there? I mean, AI can't do everybody's job, but a month or so ago, Goldman Sachs published a report showing that AI could replace the equivalent of 300 million full-time <laughs> jobs worldwide. PwC, near a home, found a third respondent's poll were worried about their role being replaced by technology. And you've looked at automation, you know, in, in previous incarnations. What is your sense of how it's going to play out and um, how we actually ensure that we don't lose too many jobs and we actually improve the jobs that we do have yeah thank you uh, no less than that that's a big question of course because these global estimates are always prone to that many mirrors and they mm -hmm. look pretty scary but i think we have been through other phases of scaremongering and what is important i think a lesson we can learn from the last one is that not only can something happen such as the pandemic um, which also actually has not triggered that much of a tech increase than we had thought beforehand, right? The thing here is important that tasks, if you reduce skills to tasks and you get rid of one task, you are in danger of losing a skill because you might not be able to perform other tasks that make your job accurately in the future. What I mean here is think about a simple thing as, as learning algebra and arithmetics in mathematics so there's evidence that children who never learned that at school actually never really engaged with mathematics anymore because yeah. they just 
lose the foundations. It's like using pen and paper. Well, like children can't use maps, can they anymore? Exactly. So, so we lose <laughs> that. And we, we can. I know. I'm always happy to discuss this idea of of GPS blindness. You know, there, there are all words for that. So that's well established at the moment. I think that's really crucial to be uh, to keep in mind. And what Katie said is, is I think, really important. All that has been outlined here means to be really cautious about where do we want to go with that? Who has a say in that? And also, I think there's some evidence here from um, researchers who did research in the Silicon Valley, that if you get to a point where you have the idea of owning ethics within your own organization, you make the people who develop it in part responsible for acting ethical. And then tensions come in because businesses, as we know, are run by performance management figures, by KPIs, by technological solutionism, by meritocracy. So who has a say in what and how strong can you make that voice, right? We have the debates about whistleblowers. <laughs> we will see that again. And, and just coming back here to what Francis said, that would be for me the distinction between the human versus human interaction. I would never agree that anyone in the world can be unbiased in their decision. You know, you always find a bias full stop because bias is a bit of a pointless solution here. It's a question in how have you thought about what bias it is and can the other person actually uh, fight against it? So to just sort of round off talking about the skills that will be required, Francis, how do you think things will change? I mean, Kendra's almost implying we might have a kind of wave of sort of jobs at a fairly low level checking stuff. Do you think that um, generalist jobs might go? We saw this hollowing out the last time that uh, we had a big technological wave. There are so many examples. And, and there's a piece that, that I've started to think a lot around where the, the promise of greater productivity for lots of people is huge. But if let's say you are making pizzas, I've certainly not conceived that at the moment. So there's there's a whole raft of roles in society that are not engaging with tech on a day-to-day basis. And I think to to part of Kendra's point, I think the, the risk of kind of social difference there is even greater. The bit that I think I see as a real shift in skills is I think the we need to pay attention to the route to developing skills because it's almost easier to get through, say, first stages of development of anything, which is great if you already know how to do those. But if you don't, then your ability to interrogate, I think, is challenging. And I think the sort of skills around managing and coaching people become really different. Um, and, And if for a moment I could go back to the 1990s, I taught for a couple of years in Sri Lanka in, in the 1990s, uh, you know, days of dial-up internet and so on. And three kids that I was teaching history to, well, I was really impressed they managed to source from the internet a whole raft of information about the subject we were doing. What they didn't do was then apply any judgment to it or put it in their own words, you know, so it's cut and pasted and stuck in. So the discussion I was having with them was hugely impressed, you know, They'd source things brilliantly, but they'd then not applied the human judgment on top of it. Yeah. And I think where we where we will need to get to in terms of skills is being able to say, okay, te- not did you use AI to help you, but how did you use it? Where did you get to with it? 
What were the questions you were using? What was the discussion you went through? Where did you supplement it with your judgment? Who did you talk to to back it up? So you're kind of getting people to build the rounded solution and really getting people to look at how do you use those human skills to, to get to good solutions? If we don't do that, my great worry is we are just going to generate a load more stuff you know, lots more content, which then ultimately ends up with somebody having to make a decision about it. And people who are already kind of bottlenecks in committees or so on, just have more things that they pretend to read and pretend to make sounder judgments on. Uh, Katie Obi, I know you want to come in on that, but I was just thinking uh, earlier that uh, if we think about how maybe simpler versions of AI were incorporated into, into customer services with chatbots and everything. Uh, I mean, they're pretty rubbish, weren't they? I mean, the public hated them. They weren't achieving what companies wanted. I guess maybe they didn't go through this process that you were discussing earlier of rigorous trialling and uh, all that. So, um, I mean, we may be setting, us, setting ourselves up for a fall here with the next wave of AI. Yes, absolutely. And there's so much that I think um, uh, we really need to unpack around this. I wanted to just um, maybe in defense of AI a little bit. Uh, I think Kendra and Francis raised really, really important points around the impact it can potentially have from a societal standpoint and different types of jobs. Um, but I think there is also another side to that, too. I think all things are true and all things need to be looked at very critically to make sure we're doing the right things and we're using the technology responsibly. I also think AI can open a lot of doors as well. So if I look at the chat GPT type um, generative AI technology, that will disproportionately impact white collar workers. Now, I think there are lots of things to, to unpack around that, around Generally, it doesn't replace whole jobs. It adds productivity to parts of jobs, and that makes it difficult to say, well, 300 million jobs will be completely wiped out. It also creates more jobs in terms of the other things that need to be built around it to make sure that we're successful. I think also um, there are other forms of robotics that will impact blue collar uh, jobs as well. And all of these things are happening at the same time. I also think, um, AI opens opportunities as well, not just in new jobs that are created, but if, if we look at um, GPT-4, it, it can generate code now. So you don't have to go to university and do a computer science degree and learn how to be a developer in order to generate code. Yes, it's always worth having someone making sure that they're checking that code and making sure that it's being done correctly, but doors are suddenly open to new industries and new opportunities uh, for people like they've never been before. So I, I just wanted to, to kind of point out that there were two sides of the coin and mm. I, I uh, without discounting the really important points that, that Kendra and Francis also raised, that we need to make sure that we're very careful about how we use the, this technology wisely. Because, I mean, people used to be valued for either thinking or doing, didn't they, Kendra? And uh, the doing uh, has been largely or partly taken over by machines, the thinking we always thought the people would have to do. It's almost like, from what I've just been hearing there, the boots but might be on the other foot that it's the, the thinkers who might be in less demand uh, the doers uh, particularly those with the practical st skills uh, who are not being replaced by machines they will still have work <laughs> it's funny uh, 
I think from where I'm coming from, I would always say, well, the distinction between thinkers and doers is questionable in the first place, because I think a lot of doers think about my own dad here. <laughs> he's a he's a big doer, but he's yes, also I'm, a big I was thinker. Vast, I was vastly oversimplifying. <laughs> if there's any enraged plumbers listening, I apologise. Well, I think I, I think we're really and and listening to to what UK you said the case for and the case against, and I think we are in this terrain where it's so important to remind ourselves that it's all about. Where do we create the spaces these discussions like ours here can take place? At the moment, we have a fast accelerated tech development that comes as a promise. That is another question. Now, my first question is, I mean, how much do we still fiddle around before we go on a Zoom call? Uh, oh, your camera isn't here. And we are like, what, a couple of years in now and still it's not working well. So we know there is this ideal world where every technology works fantastically. But instead, the digital housekeeping we need to do every day, that's part and parcel of our jobs, where we say, oh, I sent you this, it's in the cloud X, or it's in provider Z. We don't know, right? So what happens is that a lot of the productivity gains that are promised to us are just lost because nothing really is implemented carefully enough so that we have always access to the same resources. And the other thing I wanted to, to address, um, Katie, I, I totally agree there are real benefits. Hence, I would never say that something we discuss now is actually relatively new. I think a lot of these questions we had to ask oh, for a while. So we are currently doing a project with um, engineers on how they perceive this shift towards human centeredness. And it's quite interesting because they learned modeling and engineering means, you know, yeah, a model is always wrong, but some of them are useful. And then if you say, well, how about the saying a model is often wrong, but they're often sometimes it's it's useful and it's right, but it's also very dangerous. And then they start reflecting. But they also admit that often they don't even have the resources or they're given a project and then they're driven by their own, like, adventures they, they just want to do something you know this idea of doing something new that we all know you, know, you think oh that's new that's great that's fantastic and then we forget and, and, and where do we pass all that in and that's that would be my concern really and i see that with our students the ability to to ask the, the questions that are needed i think that's 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 a big issue um education yes we will benefit from ai but what is with the benefit gains will they use so that we can use these times all will our workloads increase and stuff will cut away. And then, well, what have we what have we won then? Will we increase students' numbers because AI will help us? Or will we go back to a model where I have more time to spend with my students on a face-to-face -face version? Or HR managers in the organizations, can they actually talk to people <laughs> again? Well, that's a good point. Um, is it HR that are in the driving seat for this, Francis, in terms of... Uh pushing organisational change? It's, it's sort of funny, I think, in, in HR, COVID presented this huge demand on the profession, but the demand was effectively on operational HR, largely. I think with AI, it, it requires a profession to think really quite differently. I would say as a profession, we love benchmarking what we do against each other, and you can't do that with sort of things that are radically changing really at the moment you know keep, keep keeping up with the herd when the herd hasn't hasn't started moving is um 
is not really the answer. So the kind of benchmarking is quite tough. Because then things that hold us back, like the the way we've implemented technology into HR is tough. And a lot of HR functions will struggle to get in the sort of technology pecking order. And so so kind of their ability to, to get into this is, is quite tough, I think. And I would love us to go as a profession and say, now I'm kind of trying to push on is that we really do a number of things. So, so one is look in as many ways as we possibly can throughout the colleague journey and really go where in this step of the colleague journey, either can the individuals deploy AI to change things or the experts deploy AI or it's deployed in, into the process. Um, and if I give just say one simple example, everybody hates the kind of quarterly compliance learning modules and every organization has them we all hate them we all click through powerpoint slides as fast as we possibly can and then guess the answers and if the aim is actually to make sure that people know you know eight out of ten things then giving people the ability to go and find that information for themselves in a faster manner and essentially have a conversation with something that will tell them the things they need to know could be hugely transformational. It could save a huge amount of time, gets people to the things they really know, but it does completely disrupt a kind of swathe of providers who have a kind of vested interest. And that is true, I would say, every single step of the um, of the kind of colleague journey. So I think our work as a profession is to get ahead of it and think, how do we use this as, as well as possible? How do we encourage people to try try AI to, to, to help them with productivity? And then I think really importantly to, to Kendra's point that we, we use it to improve productivity and efficiency rather than just creating more stuff. Um, because the other great big people debate at the moment is really around things like the four day week. If you take the, the potential of AI, it makes the possibility of the four day week far more, far more kind of practical. So I kind of think that's my optimistic, my pessimistic thing is we're going to create uh, so many things. HR doesn't get ahead of the curve. We end up writing policies telling people they can't use AI and then managing the generation of huge numbers of more documents and things that make us less efficient. So that's why I don't think HR yet is at the vanguard of it, but I think we need to because it is that use of the of AI as humans that I think is going to make the real difference. So Katie Obi, what would you add to that from your practical experience? Yes, and I mean... Clearly, I'm biased in this, given the role that I do, but I feel really strongly that the most successful companies in the next five to 10 years are the companies where the people functions get front and center of this and they really embrace it up front. And to Francis's point, they're not the, the policy brigade going through this, but they're the ones who really think about, well, how do we do things differently? And one of the best things that, um, uh, that people functions can do is work out what skills we need within our own functions in order to be able to do this well. And it's skills like really being able to drive things like agile projects and the prototyping elements. It's skills around governance and uh, and you know, assessing outcomes and, and biases and ethics. And it's also skills around data as well. So I think if I look at people functions versus other functions in the business, much as it pains me to say it, I think that 
people functions are behind the curve um, of other areas of the business in terms of being data and analytics led. And we need to become ahead of the curve to do this. We have to work out how we're feeding all of the right data, how it all feeds together in order to get insights and in order to be able to take advantage of these technologies. And it's a completely different skill set that we have in people functions. And I think if we can look at building those capabilities within our teams and combining it with the wonderful capabilities we already have, especially around being human centric and, and thinking about people's experience, then that is where I think the magic is and where companies will be most successful. And I was just wondering, Kendra Bricken, from what you were saying earlier about do you actually need a new AI solution? What um, process you think people should go through to decide if they should AI or not AI? Maybe I'm picking it up from the uh, from the end of the stick that Katie handed over there, because I think that the skills that are needed in HR, and I mean, we're teaching here at Thrustlight uh, in the business school, we're teaching master's programs for HRM. So that's the, the future of the profession, right? It's CIPD accredited and everything. And what strikes me in teaching um, the students that come from across all different countries, there is a lack of knowledge not necessarily with regards to data, but what what does the data signify? So the knowledge about the simple social reality of work and employment is quite thin. To give you an example, we did a project on the rollout of technologies during uh, COVID in, in social care. And the HR managers we spoke to, they were kind of upset because they said, well, everybody knows how to use their phone at home. Why can they not use it, you know, to type in care notes, to do this and that and that. So all of a sudden, this smart device became the all service at all, you know. But they totally dismissed the social reality of social workers going into a home of a person and interacting there, you know, wiping yeah. many things and doing things so so i think that's that uh, to me this is something we need to to consider when thinking what what knowledge about data do we want and i think data here means hr needs to be the expert in knowing what work is done by the employees in the organization and they need to know about that and not just by surveying it to create yet another data point right and what you said about how do we make AI relevant, I think I think Katie gave us all the great points here earlier on. It's about testing and it's about resources. And when we go back to what Francis said about fears, I just fear from what I see, tech is just thrown into things because, you know, there are too many CEOs now thinking, oh, we need that, right? We need to have that. The question as always will be, do organizations think about it carefully when when to join the bandwagon, are they prepared? Do they have the resources? How do you manage the knowledge that's created? How do you make sure that the databases are up to date and all of that? These are all costs that might incur that are hidden at the moment. And I mean, most, I, I still love this. Uh, I mean, love as in a, in a hate-love relation. Um, when Jeff Bezos talked in 2007, I think, uh, about artificial, artificial intelligence. Think about how many jobs you might simply create because people need to do all the analog work and make it look at as, as if it's all running smoothly, right? Okay. So bringing this to a conclusion, Francis, you've touched on some of these issues, but just give us a, a quick tip or two 
about how you just start this process and with whom, you know, to reshape and reimagine your business models to incorporate uh, AI technology? I sort of think there's there's two approaches, and, and I think Katie was great at articulating the almost the enterprise view. We know loads of workers are using chat GPT or other tools, and they and they're kind of trying to do it in a hidden way in case they get into trouble or get told to stop. Or well, they're getting it to write poetry. Yeah, yeah. So they so they so there's sort of these trivial, relatively trivial stuff. Really. Yeah. So there's a piece of um making it okay, showing we're paying attention, showing we're interested in it, and giving the giving people who are interested the opportunity to show you know, kind of show their skills and so on. It doesn't mean you then follow through on everything that is discovered. There may be things that people go, we want to do this. And you go, Actually, no, that's putting proprietary data out or whatever. So it's start, but it's giving people that kind of encouragement to explore. And the other thing we were trying to do, I guess it's one of the things Kendra said quite, um, uh, a little earlier as well, is you're not doing it from a position of power, um, you're doing it from a kind of position of curiosity or exploration. So it's a slightly, it's this kind of slightly different approach. And some of that reflects my a, a bit of my philosophy that I often think companies broadly either behave like you can trust your employees or they behave like you, you can't trust your employees. And generally, I think whichever whichever one you adopt is true. We we won't won't get into this discussion yeah, yeah, about whether yeah. you can always trust chat. GPT, but heck, yeah, it'll give you yeah. it'll give you some options. Thank you, Francis Lake, Dr. Kendra Bricken, Katie Obie, such a, a thoughtful and times mind-boggling discussion. I'm gonna have to have a lie down after this one. Um, and remember, we have these kind of conversations every month here. For instance, if you haven't caught it yet, our previous edition on pay transparency generated a shed load of likes and shares. So please check us out and subscribe where you get your podcasts. Uh, but since we've been all about AI, let's finish by hearing how OpenAI's GPT-4 responded when I asked it for a strategy to boost AI use. That's a great question. A good strategy involves identifying potential use cases that can solve your key challenges or create value for your stakeholders. Prioritize your use cases on criteria such as budget, data availability, and expected benefits. Then you can develop a roadmap for implementation. Till next time from me and my new AI friend. Goodbye.